faith and life. For some people, they're parallel roads. They never come into contact with each other. One never influences the other. Yet for some other people, faith and life are more like intersecting roads. Often they're running opposite each other, but where they do intersect, wonderful God moments can be experienced. But yet for just a few, the two roads merge into one, and the results are truly a highway to heaven. What does the road of faith and life look like in your world? Well, this morning we're going to conclude our message series, How To. And I apologize that I'm coming to you uh, through the recording uh, that you're watching on the screens. Uh, but I got word on Wednesday afternoon that my father has taken a turn for the worse. And so I needed to head back up to Buffalo, if not to make it there before he passes, uh, to be up there to help his wife after he does pass. So I apologize I'm not able to be with you this morning. I also apologize that um, it, it is a little different when you preach to an empty room. And uh, we experienced that during the lockdowns and COVID. And, uh, and if it doesn't come across as energetic as normal, uh, I just apologize ahead of time. Um, I wanted to complete this series because uh, I've really enjoyed it, uh, somewhat proud of the series as well, uh, because we've talked about some really difficult things, and I've already written the message for this, uh, for this morning, so I just wanted to, uh, to share it with you this way, rather than ask someone to fill in for me at the last minute. But over the last several weeks in this how-to series, we've talked about uh, how do we stop living destructively, and, and, and that's just such a problem for so many of us, and I really hope that um, for some of you that by the choices that you're making uh, and and some of the things that you're bringing into your life, uh, maybe intentionally, maybe unintentionally, uh, that you've been able to make some progress on that. Uh, week two, we talked about how we make God a priority in our lives. And the real point of that is, in our minds, we tend to make God maybe more of a priority than what he really is. Uh, so I hope that maybe you've been looking at, uh, at it maybe a little bit more objectively. Maybe you've been talking to some people who know you well uh, to get some feedback on whether or not God really is the priority that you feel that he is in your life. Uh, then we talked about how it is that we grow our faith. We talked about how it is that we share our faith. And uh, in a time like this where so many people are falling away from the church and so forth, not only growing in our own faith, but then learning to share it is so incredibly important. And then last week's message, I was really, um, I was really happy with, and I got a lot of really good feedback uh, on it. And it was really, how do we find meaning and purpose in life? And I suggested that probably 90% of us on some level um, struggles with trying to find meaning and purpose or or at least that we go through cycles in which we're not necessarily feeling like uh, we have a lot of meaning and purpose. And, and I hope that message spoke with you uh, and spoke to you. Uh, today, I want to talk with you about how can I forgive myself? Um, you know, I was sure that last week's message probably would apply to about 90% of us. I, I'm not sure where this, this one is. Um, I believe that every one of us at some point in our lives have struggled with, how can I forgive myself? Now, as you're hearing this message this morning, um, it may not be where you're at, uh, but at some point you were. 
Uh, for some of us, maybe we're not at that place because we've resolved through those, those personal failures that we've had in our lives in the past. Uh, for others of us, maybe we've just swept it under the rug and we never did really deal with it. And in fact, it's really still affecting us now and we don't even realize it. Um, and then maybe for some others of us in here, um, it, it's really active right now. It, it, it's, it's a serious issue in our lives. And I'm here to tell you, if, if you are having trouble forgiving yourself, it, it's debilitating. And so, you know, I've been a pastor now for 24 years. Um, I'm 50, I don't know. The, the things that break y'all's heart, uh, it's the things that break my heart. And, and people walking through life without meaning and purpose, like we talked about last week, um, living destructive lives where we bring dysfunction into our lives the first week. And really this one, how it is that we really forgive ourselves. Uh, these are things that are near and dear to me. And once again, that's why I wanted to uh, give this message to you this morning, even though I wasn't able to be here in person. So let me give you some just general points on how we uh, learn to forgive ourselves. And the first thing that I want you to understand is that God will not waste your mistakes. In fact, there's a purpose for our mistakes. Uh, and when we realize that there can be a purpose for our mistakes, and when we realize that good can come from our mistakes, Somehow it just makes uh, that ability to forgive ourselves all the better and, and all the easier. Um, when I think of God won't allow us to waste our mistakes, I, I guess I kind of think of like uh, Native Americans. Uh, when Native Americans would kill a buffalo, they wouldn't allow any of it to go to waste. They would uh, use the meat for food. They would use the skin for clothing. They'd use the bones for, for tools or for weapons. Every part of the buffalo was used. There was a purpose for every part of it. None of it would go to waste. Well, that's, that's how God uses our lives. And that's how God uses our failures. And once again, if you're living in, in like you can't forgive yourself, like you just, you did something that was so bad, so wrong. Maybe it's just really raw right now. When you realize that God won't allow that to go to waste, I mean, that, that's powerful. And, and it allows us to be, begin to see negative things more positively. You know, one of my favorite passages comes from Romans chapter eight, verse 28. And it says this, and we know that God works all things together for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. It doesn't say that God just works some things. It doesn't say that God just works the good things that we do. It says God will actually work all things for the good. And that includes your failures and mine. So once again, when we can change our mind from a, a point of maybe living in, in just shame, uh, regret, um, doubting whether or not God loves us and, and all the things that come from uh, maybe the bad things that we've done in our past or, or maybe right now, to know that God can and will use that. And he will not allow your suffering, your pain, your guilt, everything that you're feeling uh, that is keeping you from forgiving yourself. He's not going to allow that to go to waste. The second thing that I need you to consider is this. I encourage you to compost your failures. Now, you might be thinking, what in the world are you talking about? Compost your past failures. Well, I like to garden. And uh, for a long time, I did a compost pile and I'd stopped for a while. But I went back to doing it just this past year. And a compost pile is very interesting because garbage actually makes your garden grow better than if it didn't have garbage as part of it. 
but that garbage has to be done the right way. And so what you do is you take yard garbage, yard waste, you, you, you can take uh, grass clippings, um, uh, leaves that fall from the, the, the trees, you know, things that are organic in your yard, you take that and normally it's just garbage, it, it's of no value, and you put that in, in a bin. Then you take some of the garbage out of your refrigerator uh, or, you, you know, the, your fruit basket, you know, your, your bananas that you never finish that begin to rot, uh, your other fruit that, that start and go bad, uh, your, your extra pasta that you don't finish eating. You know, you, you take this, a lot of these food items that you would normally throw away, not meat, but, but uh, more, once again, organic, natural, plant-based type things, right? You, you take that, you would normally throw it away, but instead you put it in that compost bin with your yard garbage. And when you have the balance right, and when you mix it up um, over time, and sometimes you know, relatively quickly, uh, that turns into just this really deep, dark, rich, organic soil. That when you put that in your garden, suddenly your tomato plants are bigger and they're producing way more. Everything in the garden when you put this garbage on it that has now been composted, uh, that garbage is repurposed and, and all of a sudden it, it's way better than, uh, than what just regular dirt would be. Well, we can do the same thing with the failures. When we look at our failures, when we look at our mistakes, it's really the garbage of our lives. But once again, God's not going to allow that to go to waste. If we allow God to work on that in the way that God wants to work in that, suddenly our lives will produce more fruit than if we had never undergone that at all. Once again, now you're beginning to see that there can be purpose in your failures and, 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 and there's hope. And I think that's a starting point of, of being able to forgive ourselves. Now, how does that happen? I said, when it comes to a compost pile, it, it, you have to handle it the right way. Because honestly, if you handle it the wrong way, it, it's not going to work at all. In fact, it'll make probably your soil uh, much worse. Well, the Bible talks about it, uh, how we do that the right way and how God does that the right way. And I talked about it a little bit on Ash Wednesday. And that is that there's two different kinds of repentance. That, that if we're going to you know, be able to forgive ourselves, it has to start with being sorry. But there, there, there's a godly repentance, and, and that's the good type. That's the, the type that God can really use. And then there's like a, a worldly sorrow, a worldly repentance, and, and that's like a messing up the compost bin. It's not going to make your soil better. It's going to make it uh, worse. Look at 2 Corinthians 7.10 with me. So it says, godly sorrow will bring repentance, and that repentance leads to salvation, and it leaves no regret but worldly sorrow will bring death. Now, notice what it says. It says that godly sorrow leads to salvation. It doesn't say perfect living leads to salvation. It doesn't say that our failures will disqualify us from salvation. You see, that's the reason we have trouble forgiving ourselves. Because honestly, we think that God can't forgive us. But in fact, godly sorrow, our failures can actually you know, lead to salvation. What does godly sorrow look like? It, it, it's, it's being truly sorry that there's a change in attitude and there's a change in behavior. Um, it, 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 in fact, it talks about it a little bit further there in 2 Corinthians 7. Uh, 2 Corinthians 7 verse 11 says this. See what godly sorrow has produced in you. You see, godly sorrow will produce qualities and characteristics. Paul says it's produced earnestness. What eagerness to clear yourselves. What indignation. What alarm. 
What a longing, what longing, what concern, and what readiness to see justice done. You see, when we have proper sorrow to our failings, it's going to create a change in behavior, a change in behavior that's not based upon consequences of what might happen or what has happened or, you know, things of that. It's, it's a real desire to change. Now compare that to worldly sorrow. Worldly sorrow is a lot of times rooted in you are caught in something and, and you feel horrible. So you stop doing it, but it's just temporary. Or maybe you go in and out of feeling sorry for something. So you stop it because you're feeling a little sorrowful, but then you start it again. And there's no real change in attitude. There's no change in thinking. There's no change in behavior. That, that type of sorrow, that type of repentance uh, leads to death. Now, I think God a lot of times is trying to work on us to bring us to a more um, godly repentance and a more godly sorrow. Uh, and when he does that, I think sometimes we become very defensive. And when we become defensive, then it's not true repentance. It's, it's not a godly repentance. It's probably more worldly. And you know what you've done in your past. And you know, you know where you are in terms of your level of conviction. You know, rather than like saying it's not my fault, rather than blaming it on circumstances or, you know, they treated me unfairly or all these other things in which we become defensive, we can't get to a proper point of repentance when we're defensive. So if you're defensive about the things that you can't forgive yourself about, you can't ever get to where it's going to be good compost that God's going to really change your life and, and, and make something uh, really powerful come from it. So if you're struggling with, uh, with uh, an inability to forgive yourself for things in the past, first thing you got to do is stop being defensive about it because you'll never get there. Now, for some others of us, what happens is um, it, it really causes us to run away from God. So when God's trying to convict us, we can either repent and, and own it or we'll run away from God. Um, and I'm not saying necessarily in a literal sense to run away from God. I guess I'm talking more in a spiritual sense. And sometimes it happens slowly. It happens subtly. Uh, maybe you just, you aren't praying as much because spiritually you're pulling away from God because, you know, there's, there's just that, that, that disconnect. Um, maybe you stop going to church as often. Uh, maybe you stop volunteering Maybe you're not reading your Bibles as much. Maybe some of you are allowing uh, the, the, the personal guilt of the failures of your past and, and you just don't feel as close to God anymore. Well, the reason why is because, you know, we're just not owning it and we're not repenting of it in, in a godly way. And as a result, it, it really does become a barrier between us and God. Now, when we look at the scripture, we see examples of this, of the difference between someone who repents of something in a worldly manner and someone who repents of it in a godly manner. Uh, consider first uh, the story of Judas. Now, you guys probably all know who Judas is. Judas is the one who betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. So on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he's betrayed by one of Jesus' disciples, Judas, who comes and leads a, a group of uh, soldiers that are going to arrest Jesus. And he says, the, the person I kiss on the cheek, that's the one who you're to arrest. And, and he betrays Jesus. Now, uh, Judas ended up feeling a great amount of remorse for what he did. So much so that he threw the silver back. He didn't keep it himself. And then shortly thereafter, he went and hung himself. He killed himself. It was worldly sorrow. Why? Well, because 
in the end, Judas didn't have the capacity to repent in a godly way. Um, he honestly wasn't that good of a person. He wasn't uh, that faithful of a follower. Uh, scripture says that, uh, that he was a thief from the beginning. You see, Judas was the one that kind of kept the money for all the disciples. Um, and so he would, you know, uh, give whoever was going to buy food or, or whatever general belongings that they would need. He was the one in charge of handing that money out so that could be done. But he was also stealing from their, uh, uh, from their purse, from their treasury, if you will. Um, so Judas never really had a concept of a true repentance that led to a change of behavior. So that ultimately when he betrayed Jesus, it was once again a worldly sorrow that led to death. As Paul says it will in 2 Corinthians 7 that we read. Now... Compare that with a couple other people in scripture. Compare that with Peter. Peter didn't do something too terribly different. It was different, quite a bit different than what Judas did, but it was still pretty bad. Peter, one of closest Jesus, one of Jesus's closest uh, disciples and followers, um, Jesus told him that, told Peter that on the night in which he'd be betrayed, that three times that night before the rooster crowed, uh, Peter would deny even knowing who Jesus was. Now, Peter couldn't fathom doing that. He said, surely I won't, Lord. But as that night progressed and people recognized Peter and accused Peter of, of being friends with Jesus, three different times Peter said that he, he didn't know Jesus. He denied Jesus. Jesus then was crucified the next day and Peter felt a great amount of, of regret, of remorse. This was a very significant uh, failure in his life, but he processed through that with godly repentance so that when Jesus rose from the dead and he went to Peter and he said, Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, yes, Lord, you know, I love you. And J Jesus would say, feed my sheep. You know, Peter was ultimately restored in his relationship with Jesus. And because, uh, because of this proper restoration, because of this proper um, repentance, um, God uses it in Peter's life to do some amazing things as one of the early leaders of the church. A similar story for Paul. Now, Paul wasn't one of the early disciples of Jesus, but uh, Paul was a persecutor of the followers of Jesus, even giving approval for people to be arrested and to be put to death. Well, he has this encounter with Jesus in which uh, Jesus reveals himself to him. And, and Paul is, uh, is confronted with the fullness of, of his failures, that, that he has arrested innocent people. He's destroyed families. He's persecuted God and the church, and he's even killed people. And out of that mess, you have God doing an amazing, th amazing thing through Paul in which he becomes really the greatest missionary uh, in the New Testament. He walks halfway around the world, the equivalent of it, during several missionary journeys. Um, and he does more for bringing the message of Christ to uh, the, the Gentiles, the non-believers, uh, than any of the other uh, earlier followers of Christ. Now, what is the similarity between Peter and Paul? They both had great, moral, ethical, whatever you want to call it, they had great failures, horrific failures that for many people would cause them to maybe fall away or, or, or slip into a depression or never be able to forgive themselves. But God took the garbage of their lives and as a result of their garbage, uh, did a, things through them that they, he would have never have been able to do if it wasn't for that. It's like he builds it into this compost and their failures ultimately make them into better people. 
And I need to encourage you that God will once again, take our failures. He won't allow it to go to waste and cause us to become greater than what we ever have before. Think about a, a trampoline. The farther you fall down on it, the, the, the greater that you're going to be lifted up, right? If you just fall a little bit, you're not going to come off that thing very much. But when you come down, you know, uh, from a long distance, you're going way up. When I was a kid, they had something called pogo sticks, same concept, you know, just a little bounce. You're not can go up much, but take a big bounce, boom, you're going up. And so the greater that we fall with our failings, the more that God is able to do through it. Now, what's crazy about that is as Christians, we're not really good at admitting our failings. And we're not really forgiving of people who have them, especially pastors, it, you know, for various reasons, because of uh, maybe scandals of the past, uh, churches and church bodies are oftentimes very unforgiving of failings uh, of pastors. Well, if they were unforgiving of Peter and Paul, they would have never been what they were able to become. Uh, there's a large church in Dallas that um, a, a year ago, uh, the founding pastor resigned. This is a church that worshiped, or at least uh, had about 20,000 people as part of their congregation. And uh, the issue uh, with this congregation was um, uh, people accused of the founding pastor of being having pride issues. Now, don't get me wrong, pride is a, a significant issue, uh, but it doesn't matter what our failing is. Rather than we, running people out of the ministry, how much better if if like someone can be really convicted, uh, a pastor, in, in what it is that they, their failings are, and that God would use that to make them twice the person they ever were before. And what about for you? And for, for all of us that are part of the body of Christ, what if we had more freedom to say, you know what, I, I've been really messing up. And, and rather than being looked down upon by other Christians and being ostracized, that we can own that, that that, that can become a, a proper repentance and that God would be able to use that to make us uh, way better than what we ever would have been before. Um, I, I want to just stop right now at this point, and I want to pray for everyone that's in here, because what I want to pray for is that God would uh, allow you to uh, come to a, a point of repentance uh, for, th for those things that you can't forgive yourselves for, um, so that he might be able to work in your life. And then I want to pick back up and, and talk a little bit about maybe some tools that we can use uh, to, uh, to bring about um, uh, maybe the ability to forgive ourselves a little bit better. Because I know, once again, for maybe a quarter of us in here, a third of us in here, um, it's debilitating because we're not able to forgive ourselves for what it is uh, we've done in the past. But uh, uh, before I talk about that, would you just join me in a quick word of prayer? Gracious God, I just want to lift up to you, everyone that's listening to this message today. And I grieve that I'm not able to be with them in person as they're hearing this. Uh, but I hope that uh, even though this is coming through the, uh, the screens here at church, uh, that your spirit would be working through it. That I know, gracious God, that there's a significant amount of people here that if they're not wiping away tears from their eyes already, um, are doing everything that they can to, to not have to do that. Because gracious God, all of us have, have done things that we just have a hard time forgiving ourselves for. Some of us have processed through it in a healthy way, and we thank you for that. But too many of us haven't, and our failures of the past are affecting us today. And some of us right now at this very moment are being debilitated by the, our inability to forgive ourselves and to move on. 
And so uh, I just pray, gracious God, that uh, first and foremost, that you'd bring us to that point of, of being able to, to trust you enough uh, to be able to forgive ourselves and to know that from our failures, you can do something mighty and that you can do something powerful, that you'd instill in each of us a hope because hope is so powerful, a hope that, that we don't have to carry this, this burden and this baggage with us any longer, um, that you can use it to, uh, uh, to make our lives all the more meaningful and purposeful. Uh, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, for the remainder of our time, I just want to talk to you about maybe, uh, maybe some things that we can do in order to, uh, some tools I can give you uh, to be able to learn to, to forgive yourselves and to move forward in your life. Uh, the first is this, is I, I want to ask you, um, do you truly understand redemption? Do you truly understand what redemption is? Here's what redemption is. It's what Jesus did on the cross. Now, follow with me for a second. So Jesus, before he went to the cross, um, was tried. And people said all kinds of things about him that weren't true. That was the only way that he could be convicted because he didn't do anything wrong. So he had people lying about himself. Then he had a bunch of people turn their backs on him. People that were shouting, Hosanna, son of David. People that were pretending to be his followers, his friends, his fans, whatever. Uh, they, they begin to yell, crucify him. Not only that, then in an attempt to not have him crucified, Pilate has him, Pontius Pilate has him beaten uh, to a pulp um, in the hopes that that would satisfy the crowd. And it didn't. And, and, and so Jesus, you know, is having people turn their backs on him, people lying about him. Uh, he's being whipped to the point that his flesh is coming off of him. He has a, a crown of uh, thorns uh, pushed into his skull. Um, he gets nailed to a cross. He gets a spear thrown in his side. And, and I don't get it, but from up there on the cross, after having all of that happen to him, this is what he calls out shortly before he dies. You know, he calls out, Father, forgive them for they don't know what it is they're doing. How in the world does Jesus, when people have done all of those horrific things to him, worse than what you and I would have ever probably had happen to us in our lives, how does he say, forgive them? They're just ignorant. Forgive them. They just don't know. How do you do that? Now, here you are, some of us, many of us maybe, unable to forgive ourselves for the sins of our past because maybe you don't think God can forgive you. I'm just challenging you, if you understand redemption, that, that God can say, Jesus can say, Father, forgive them after they did everything that they did to them. What do you think that you did that was so horrible that was worse than that? That you killed God. There isn't. So how in the world do you think that God can't forgive you when he was able to forgive that? And if God was able to forgive you, then who are you to not forgive yourself? So it starts with understanding just how powerful redemption is. Then the next thing I want to encourage you with is stop looking back. I like to say, and I've done sermons on this in the past, where God has this like quality about himself, which I'll call holy amnesia. You know, amnesia is our inability to remember anything about our past. Well, God's got that towards us. Look at Isaiah 43, 25. It says, I, even I, 
and he who blots out your transgressions, that is your sins, for my own sake, and remembers your sins no more. You see, the key to God's being able to forgive us is he literally has holy amnesia. He, he's not able to remember our sins anymore. And, and if we're going to forgive ourselves, we got to stop looking back. Because every time we look back, we're remembering what we did. We're remembering what we used to be. We're remembering what, where we came from. We're being defined in the present for what happened back there. And what I can't help but think is I can't help but think about the story with Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, you know, one of the questions is, is why does God tell a lot and his family to not look back? What's so wrong with looking back? Well, the Bible doesn't really tell us why God says to, but you know what? By looking back, they would be reminded of uh, the lifestyle that everyone was living back there. And, and maybe to some extent they were uh, impacted by it. And, and, you know, looking back would be reminded of it. And they're to leave that behind because they weren't supposed to take that type of lifestyle where it was that they're going. Um, you know, by looking back, it, it reminded them you know what, who, why did I ever move there anyways? I just wasted the last how many years of my life and now we're having to leave our home behind. We're having to leave, you know, the, the daughter's um, uh, fiancés. You know, we're going we're gonna to have nothing. Our, our possessions, you know, bank accounts, whatever. We've lost everything because, you know, of the decision I lot have made. Why? Because I chose to live there and I should have known better. You see, when we look back, then you can't, you can't move forward and you can't forgive yourself as long as you keep looking back. So listen, if you're going to forgive yourself, you've got to stop looking back. And not only do you have to stop looking back, but you have to stop going back. You know, I think one of the reasons that we can't forgive ourselves is because we keep going back to what it is we were doing before. We feel bad about it, but we keep going back to it. The Bible has a phrase for that. It says, as a dog returns to its vomit. Now, I don't know, you know, you have to ask a vet why a dog returns to his vomit, but that's pretty gross. But our sins and our failings of the past are kind of like vomit and it's gross. But why, like dogs, do we just keep going back to it? Because when we do, we're never really going to be able to forgive ourselves and we're going to continue to live in this perpetual guilt. It's more of a worldly sorrow. It's temporary and it leads to death. Think about how many people you know that have tried to quit smoking and, 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 and they just keep going back to it. How many times do we go on a diet and we're good for a while, we lose weight, but then we go back to doing what we're doing and we gain it all back. How many of us, we leave a relationship behind, but then when maybe our life becomes unstable, maybe a different relationship breaks up, the first thing that we oftentimes do is we look back to those people we used to be in relationship with because it's comforting to us. We know that person. And even though it didn't work out before, we, we, we go back to it instinctively like a dog goes back to its vomit. You know, think about addictions to alcohol or gambling or, uh, you know, uh, abusive behavior and so forth. So oftentimes we're, we're unable to forgive ourselves because we keep going back to the stuff that we've done before. And, and if, you know, if we're going to process through this in a healthy way, uh, if we're going to be able to leave it behind, we need that, that godly repentance, which means we don't go back to it, but we move forward with our lives. 
Uh, third thing I want to encourage you with so that, you know, for those of you who are having trouble forgiving yourselves about something in the past, um, consider this. Um, own, uh, own and grieve the consequences that you're facing or that you did face. In general, we like to run away from consequences. We don't like pain. Um, and we would just rather skip out on it altogether. In fact, that's why people kill themselves, isn't it? You know, maybe a relationship breaks up and, and they feel responsible for it. There's too much pain and they want to like become free of that pain. So they kill themselves or, you know, maybe you get fired from a job or, or you have a falling out with your kids or whatever. People don't like that pain. And so they're going to either try to kill themselves from it or they refuse to allow themselves to live in it. But if there's not consequences for the failures of our past, then what is ever going to keep us from going back to them? It's just part of the process to own our failures and to grieve in it and to, to live in it and through it and come out stronger on the other side. Consider someone that uh, was embezzling from their country, from their, sorry, company, and they get fired. Um, and as a result of getting fired, um, they lost a really good paying job. Maybe they'll never be able to work in that industry again. Uh, their trajectory for promotion has been ruined. Um, it, it's really easy to want to escape the, uh, the, the pain of that. And so we might blame it on a bunch of other things like, well, the only reason I had to do this was because this and because that. In other words, we won't own it ourselves. Um, sometimes we'll just kind of make light of it and joke, uh, joke about it. Um, and, and we don't seem to take it as seriously as, as what we should. Well, what I'm saying is part of the process uh, of repentance, of godly repentance and moving forward is that we own it, that, that we realize the seriousness of the mistakes that we've made. Uh, and, and after we felt that and been able to understand that and process through it, then you get up and you move forward. But when we get up and move forward because we want to skip out on the pain, that doesn't work. And when you go ahead and try to kill yourself or kill yourself because you don't want to process through that pain, that's not going to work either. Next uh, kind of tool I want to give you is learn from your mistakes. Listen, think about how many successful business people went bankrupt before they actually figured it out. They've learned from their mistakes. Inventors, they're the absolute best or worst at this, depending on which way you look at it. But an inventor will have a thousand failures before they have one success. But each time with each one of those failures, they're learning from their mistakes. You know, honestly, the only thing worse than, uh, than w when we have significant uh, failures that we can't forgive ourselves for, uh, the, the, what's worse than that is when we don't learn from those mistakes. We see that in something like even with divorce, when someone has one divorce, almost always they will get a second and, and maybe a third or whatever. And the reason why is because when we haven't learned to, uh, to fix whatever we need to fix within ourselves, and with being able to communicate within a relationship and so forth, then what we end up doing is, is, is not learning from our mistakes, but we end up repeating that mistake in the next relationship. And, and so what, it's normal that we're going to have failures. Trust that God out of those failures can compost that, that he won't allow it to go to waste and, and that he, he will allow great things to come from it. But by all means, learn from your mistakes. I think we got... Um, Two left. 
the, the second to last one is this. Uh, turn to someone you look up to. You know, when we have failings, a lot of times we don't like to talk to people that we at least perceive as being better than we are. Because we feel like we're going to be judged. We don't want to hear how perfect their life is. We don't want this holier-than-thou, like, uh, philosophy, attitude, um, advice coming our way. So who do we turn to and talk to? Well, we turn and talk to people who are maybe just as big of a mess as us. Maybe more. Why? Because it'll make us feel better. The problem is this, is they're never going to be able to lead you through moving your life forward in a healthy and proper way. They're never going to be able to lead you through a proper repentance. In fact, if they truly are as messed up as we like to talk to, to make ourselves feel better, you can't even trust them because they're going to take so much pleasure in finding out what you did. And they don't know it's not just them that they're probably going to be telling all their friends about it. So turn to someone that you look up to. You might not want to hear their advice, but you know what? Those are the people that, that will help you figure out the way to move through it. Ideally, if God's put someone in your life that has been through it and has moved past it, that's who you want to talk to. But if, even if you can't find that, talk to someone that you look up to because they can tell you how they've never fallen into uh, what that, uh, th that pitfall is that maybe you're having trouble forgiving yourself for. You know, God puts people in our lives to help us. Uh, we're not meant to go through this on our own. And especially when, when we get into these uh, bad places where um, uh, we're debilitated by our own failures, you got to have some people in your life that you can trust, that you look up to, that can help lead you to, uh, to a new you. And honestly, that's kind of the last point that I want to leave you with this morning. And that is embrace the new you. Um, we're told in scripture that in Christ Jesus, we are a new creation, that the old has gone and the, the new has come. Um, use the brokenness of your past to motivate you to become a new person, uh, for new qualities and characteristics to, to come forward. Allow God to be able to compost your life and to allow your mistakes to become a blessing so that you can be the person that, that, that ultimately you're able to be because God's going to motivate you to be so much higher because you fell from such a great distance. Um, that's what he did with Peter. That's what he did with Paul. Listen, there were so many other people in the New Testament that were, were great evangelists for God, but it took a Peter and a Paul and their great failing for them to, uh, to become the people that they became. Another favorite of mine is Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus was a tax collector who, uh, who when he saw Jesus and Jesus came into his house, uh, he was convicted such in his faith that uh, he had true repentance. He goes, and even though he's a wealthy man, he gave half of all that he had to the poor and anyone that he had ripped off because he became wealthy by ripping off other people and collecting more tax than what was due. Anyone that he had ripped off, he gave four times that which um, he had ever stolen. And we don't know a ton about, you know, what Zacchaeus did after that, but we're still talking about him 2,000 years later. That's pretty powerful stuff. Once again, God will use your failings to be, make you a better person than what you were before. Forgive yourself. Thank God for your failures. And let him use those failures to become the new creation that he desires you to be.
If you allow God to work through your brokenness, um, he will be able to use you in a way that he would never have been able to use you before. Why allow your brokenness to go to waste? Our God doesn't allow anything to go to waste. Um, I'd like to pray with you um, as we uh, uh, take everything that I've said and uh, bring it to the Lord in prayer. Merciful God, as we've completed now this how-to message series, I just pray that you will have spoken to us through it, that we have stopped becoming as dysfunctional as what we were before, that we've increased our uh, level of, of making you a priority in our lives, that we've grown in our faith, that we've learned better to share our faith, that we found meaning and purpose once again in our lives and that you're working meaning and purpose in our lives. And that gracious God, for, for those of us who are struggling with because we've never dealt with and we're currently being debilitated by the failures of our past, that you would take that brokenness and that you would take those failures and that you would make us a new creation. Gracious God, um, you're an amazing God. Um, we fail you in so many different ways. Take our brokenness. Let us not be ashamed of it, but let us even in fact desire for it to be used uh, for your glory so that we would become ultimately the people that we can become versus the people we are now defined by our brokenness rather than being defined by you. If you were able to call out on that cross, Father, forgive them for the people who murdered you. Help us to know that you have already forgiven us and let us repent of that in a godly way that leads to a change of behavior. We pray this in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen.